Thank you for tuning in to listen to this sermon from the Ville Church. To find out more about us and our weekly scheduled services, please visit theville.church. Go to Philippians 4, and we're going to be working Philippians 4, 1 through, 1 through 9. Production, y'all are about to have a lot of fun because I'm actually about to do this backwards from how I normally do it as far as how I work through the scripture. I'm going to go from top, I mean from bottom to the top. So right now we're actually in um, this sermon today is called Takers Verse Makers. So we've been inside of a verse series where we've kind of been going into this aspect of um, what does it mean to be a cultural Christian versus actually being a real disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. Right. So we've been working through this idea, whatever we've been doing it for a couple of months. And I think it's just been good for our church because it brings clarity and it brings a level of weightiness and seriousness to this idea of like, what does it mean to actually be a Christian, be a follower of Jesus Christ? Right. So one of the things that comes out of being a believer, like when your heart has actually been transformed by the gospel, is that you actually you actually start to um, crave gospel obedience. Right. Does anybody anybody have that experience where they became a believer and like all of a sudden, like the stuff they used to do didn't seem as cute and as fun anymore? Anybody have that kind of experience? That's a beautiful thing. It's actually a fruit of fruit of the spirit. It's when God is actually starting to change your heart or whatever. Right. Some. So for me, some drugs just ain't feel as good as they used to or whatever. Right. You know, and so God just started making things not taste so good or whatever. Right. So it's just a it's a fruit. It's a fruit of our that, of what God is actually doing in our heart. So we've been in this series and this week, um, this particular sermon, whatever, is takers versus makers. And let me just kind of give you the premise of it before I even start. Um, big. I can, I'm going to say this. I'm going to keep saying this. One of the works that we're doing behind the scenes that you don't see um, in staff and in everything we do is actually working on discipleship for our church. What does it look like to for us to be all the way in disciple makers or being discipled, right? Like what is what can we actually do that will be efficient for where we're at, the context we're in to educate us, to be able to make disciples of Christ, to share the good news to people, to build community of people. I think that's a good thing. And I think that's what God wants the church to do. Do you all agree with that? Amen. Amen. All right. OK, so. We're going to take us verse makers. You feel me? And so we're going to talk about what does it look like to actually sit inside of the body and kind of function from a place of being a taker? Or what does it look like, look like to actually be in the body and to be a maker? You get where I'm coming from? All right. And so Paul in Philippians, I think Philippians is such a juicy. I'm sorry. People sometimes hate when I use that word, but it's the best thing. I think it's because I like ribeye steaks or whatever, as you can tell. But. Philippians is so juicy. Right. And the reason so the reason I like the book so much is because like some of the other letters that Paul writes, he writes it from this place where like some of them are kind of in sin and he's having to kind of check them a little bit. Right. So he's kind of he has this one position. But like the Philippians, it's just like this. Like, I, man, I, I love you. all He says that to everybody. But it's just like, you know, like they were financially supporting him when he was out spreading the gospel and everything else. And to me, he just has a different posture. And to me, that posture is like the posture of a disciple maker. Like when I think about like, God, how do I actually disciple people? To me, when I start reading Philippians, everything Paul is like pushing out towards them and what he's saying to them. I'm like that. This is it. Like I'm watching this thing happening. Y'all with me so far? And so we're going to jump in the. I, I could have jumped in anywhere in Philippians, but I'm going to jump in Philippians 4 um, because I think it, it, it makes some very strong points for um, what we want to actually tackle in this conversation. So 
Straight off the bat, we're going to jump on Philippians 4. We're going to start in verse 8 um, and go through verse uh, 9. So on the screen, and this is my fault, I gave them the scriptures completely different and decided in the last minute I was going to flip it so everything might be a little bit weird. So be patient with them, all right? So Philippians 4, verse 8 through 9. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to, um, it wasn't a couple of weeks ago, I think it was this week. Y'all know who uh, Leon Scrump, Pastor Leon Scrump? Yeah. Yeah, so, all right, poor people, all right. Anyway, got to start reposting them a little more, get them out there, all right. Anyway, but Leon Scrump, I was listening to him, and he, he, he just made this simple, he was talking about discipleship, and he made this simple statement where he was like, he's like, no matter what job I do, I'm always trying to work myself out of my position. He's like, that's how I look at discipleship. Like, whatever I'm doing, it's not like, okay, I'm going to come and I'm going to actually boss dog this role and stand over everybody. It's like, I'm going to actually come in this position, do what I can and exemplify how I'm supposed to do it to the best of my ability, but I'm going to be trying to pour it into somebody else or whatever all the time. Y'all with me on that? Y'all getting distracted by my beautiful son, Jules, right there? He heard his daddy's voice. That's all it is. It's my man. All right. I'm sorry. My bad. It's got car. All right. I would do my baby voice, but you don't want to hear that. You won't, you won't be able to respect me no more after you hear it. You won't, you, it won't work out good. But anyway, so Pastor Leonce, he, he, I, I like reading stuff that just simplifies stuff or whatever for me or whatever. So he just says, he says, man, I'm trying to always take what's inside of me and put it inside of people, right? And so let me read this, let me read this scripture to you because I believe we see Paul kind of, we're going to see him work through this in Philippians 4. So verse 8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Then verse 9, he says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you, right? So verse 8, he hits that, right? And so I want, you, I want you, as we're thinking about this, I want you to be, I'm going to hit you with some hard questions th this morning. I'm just going to be honest with you. So I want you to get ready for them, right? Don't get mad at me. Don't throw rocks at me. Just let them land on you and just process them. But I want you to think of yourself as a disciple maker as you're, as you're listening to this. I want you to think about his posture of what he's saying to people. And I want you to think about your posture of who you say, how, how you say stuff to people that God may put up under you. They could be friends that you casually just roll with. Maybe you're not taking a relationship and opportunity serious. There's certain people when I started looking at this, I'm like, man, this person's in front of me all the time and I'm not pouring into them. And I'm actually squandering the time. Any of you ever feel like that? So I want you to kind of take the weightiness of it like that. Right. And it's important. I'm going to jump around crazy this morning. I'm just letting you know. I'm going schizo. Matthew 28. Right says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's a command. He lays it straight out for us, right? One of the things I wish that would have happened when I became a Christian, I wish straight off the bat they would have said, hey, you're about to be discipled. And you're actually called to make disciples. This is the work we're about to do. You get where I'm coming from? Like that's, I, I wish that would have happened. It, it would have changed the way I looked at everything. And so my desire from this church, the urgency I have with, with, with just disciple making and everything else is like, I don't want people coming in and God do, having a great experience. And then it's like, 
They're waiting. And I know that's been the case for a lot of people, but we're not going to let it live and let it stay like that, right? And so we have this mandate, and the mandate's clear. Paul takes it very seriously, right? And so when we look at verse 9, it says, what you have learned. That means that Paul has, that he's teaching, right? He says, what you've received. It means that he's giving. He says, what you've heard. It means that he is speaking truth. And he says, and what you have seen. So it means that he is actually showing and exemplifying what it looks like to walk as a disciple of Christ to the people God has given him to lead. Y'all with me so far? I think this is waiting for us to put on our lap. Those, just those things right there. It's like, this is a filter right here. God, am I actually, this will help you quantify where you're at. God, am I moving like this? Am I thinking like this or whatever, right? He's talking about intentionality. Then, and this is this is so heavy right here to me. At the end, he says, practice these things. He said, and the God of peace will, will be with you. There's a big thing about disciple making and being a, a disciple maker where it's like, I don't know about you, but like, you ever like been to, um, like, like say, some, say somebody does like network marketing or whatever, and like they're like leading the room and they're like crazy into it, and they're just like, yo, you know what I'm saying, we're going to make money and this and that, and they want you to jump in and get excited, but in your mind you're like, uh, I'm just not feeling it. You know where I'm coming from? It just, it's just, you're like, that's cool. I'm glad you're excited about it. That, I'm not rocking with it. This, I'm not all the way there or whatever, right? And so I just don't believe everybody's going to buy, you know what I'm saying, you know, grandfather clocks. I just don't think they're into it right now. And I'm not going to, I don't think I can sell this with confidence, confidence, right? So Paul, the way he approaches discipling people, he has this kind of resolute, solid belief in the gospel, Right? Like, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. It feels like, sometimes, like, life just feels like war for me. I'm going to just be honest with you, right? Does anybody feel like their life is like war sometimes? Being a pastor is one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. I'm going to tell you the truth, right? But on the flipping, I wouldn't change it for one second. You couldn't give me $300 million or a billion dollars to walk away from it right now and i feel completely confident saying that to you completely confident saying you stack the bread up and i'm not taking it i'd rather struggle and preach the gospel it's just the way i feel i don't mean that as a virtue it's just what god has done in my heart i believe that this is life do you understand what i'm saying so i'm able to proclaim it with a confidence and my confidence is still weak i still look in the mirror and think it's pitiful it's still not what it should be in light of the cross right so anyone i'm not trying to brag but i'm just saying that Paul believes. So the way he leads is like, even if I'm inviting you into a straight up thunderstorm, I believe it's going to be beneficial for your soul. And when you're in it, even though it's going to be grinding you up sometimes, God is going to be faithful and it's going to be beautiful to you. Do you get where I'm coming from? That's how Paul's on it. That, that makes us have to, we got to ask the question, like, are, do you feel sure? It, it, you know, when I'm reading this, I'm like, it throws these questions at me like, Jay, do you really believe? You, you, you willing to tell everybody in this room, yo, put all your faith in Christ Jesus, let's ride because he's going to do amazing things. That's a heavy deal, right? It's a heavy deal. Philippians 1, 6 through 7, let me read this to you. It says, this is Paul talking, he says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart and you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He's saying, I'm completely fine with, asking, with telling you, step into this war. Because I know God is going to continue doing a good work and it's going to be, it's going to be beautiful. You feel what I'm saying? Y'all with me so far? It confronts so many things, right? The idea of discipleship puts a lot on the table because the weightiness of the call to make disciples perpetuates sanctification, gospel obedience, and therefore a healthy walk. That's why I wish it would have got a hit right from the joint, right in the beginning, right in front of me. Because if you leave out of here today and you're like, man, I am called to go make disciples. It means you got to start sizing up every relationship you got. Right. One of the things I'm thinking about, I'm, I, I go to my family union every year. I got uncles in them. They're, they're starting to get kind of old. And I've been seeing them for like since I was a little kid. And we ain't sat down and hit the gospel yet. I don't want to stand before God with that. Not because I'm trying to be a good boy, but man, their soul is at stake, and I'm called to make disciples. Do you get where I'm coming from? It makes you start sizing up everything a little, a little different. And then it makes you ask the question, do I actually, that's when you go back to, do I really believe this? Do I really believe it to step in this, 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 this conversation? It's going to be awkward. They might put me in the, he's the weird, spooky religious person box. You're going to get it. You're going to get it. It's going to happen. But for some people, it's going to be life. For some of them, you're going to rock their world in the most beautiful way. Do you get where I'm coming from? All right. Do we believe the gospel or not? Confronts whether you love people, like for real or not. Right? It confronts why you even come to church. Do you, are you just fearful and you want to make sure you check off your box like, God, I was on your team. Make sure you look out. But do you really believe, right? Do you, or do, were, were you really saved by mercy and grace? Have you really been broken by the weight of his righteousness to you like, God, I'm disgusted. Paul in Philippians says, we are vow. He uses, he, he's like, yeah, we're gross. And thank God for your mercy and grace, right? Do you believe that's actually true? Because if you don't believe that's true about yourself, then how can this, the gospel be the good news and be sweet and beautiful for you and compel you to actually, like, I got to share this with everybody because this is life. This is life to a dead man. Do you get where I'm coming from? Are y'all with me? All right. Everybody sitting still. I got to make sure y'all up. I got the lights in my face. I can't see. All right. So flip Philippians 1, 27 through 28, right? Let me read this to you. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for, for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. The, it, Paul is, he's talking to them, he's resolute in the fact that like, yo, our God is the biggest and the baddest and nobody messes with him. You don't have nobody to be afraid of. Your opponents are going to come at your throat and everything they mean for evil, God is going to use for good. Right? That's the way he stands in it. When I think about being a disciple maker, it makes me ask that question. Do I really believe God is this big? 
Do I really think he's that big? Am I really willing to actually do I want to formulate this context of where we can do church and it feel really, really safe? Or do I actually want to dream about taking the gospel somewhere where my life is actually on the line and believing that God is going to stomp out all of my adversaries? Do you get what I'm saying, how the weightiness of this starts to play out when you ask this question about being a disciple maker? I want to make sure I'm not losing anybody. Just tell me yay or nay. Okay. All right. Confronts whether you trust God or not, and if you're willing to actually risk it all. It's Philippians 3, 7. Listen to what Paul says. Paul, the disciple maker, listen to what he says here. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. So Paul has this faith where he's like, there's actually nothing that the world has to offer that is going to be more enriching than me leaning in and knowing Christ, right? That's, that's, how he, that's how he sizes everything up, right? And he says, Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain attain attain the resurrection from the dead now look 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 what he says right here this is good for us and we need to have this right here this ver- this this next verse the reason i want you to take put an exclamation point on everything i'm telling you with this next what i'm about to say right is because this whole versus series it lay it lay some real deal heavyweight stuff on your lap it's been like that since we started it's why we're staying in it and the point of it is actually to mature us as believers right all of us. It, it, when, I, when, I'm pre- when I'm preaching this stuff, I'm preaching it because it's falling on my lap even as I'm studying and putting it together. But one thing I know about sermons like this is like Satan tries to do a slick thing and start whispering in, in, in your ear. You're not a disciple maker. Look at you, you whack. You fake Christian. He starts hitting you. He starts trying to condemn you and break you down or whatever, right? Nobody in here is killing this and doing this perfect. I'm not preaching this because I'm killing it and doing it perfect. I'm preaching it because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he wants us to do, right? So take this as God's mercy and grace as an exclamation point in verse 12, because you need to know this. Paul is not saying I'm killing this thing. He says not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on. You hear me? So when you take this scripture today, when you take the word, I want you to go, I want to be a disciple maker, right? I want to build on what God has already done, and I want to actually press on in this or whatever, because I'm covered under God's grace and mercy. That doesn't give me that doesn't give me a green light to go chill or whatever and lay back or whatever. But I actually want to move forward and I want to grow and, pro- and move the kingdom forward. And so I'm going to press on. So I just want to make that point. So he says, but I press on to make it my own. Right. Because Christ Jesus had, has made me his own brothers. I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward as a believer i have to ask do you strain forward like is your is your position as a believer is it straining forward in gospel obedience and perpetuating the kingdom and moving the kingdom forward right if not 
the, 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 don't leave out of here with a task list of all the things you want to do, right, and go into working. You jump back to verse 12 when he says, but I press on and make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Paul's striving is informed by the fact that God has made him his own. It's informed by the mercy and grace and the bloody cross where Jesus' righteousness was given to us and our sin was given to him. Do you get where I'm coming from? I always have to make this plain to you. You don't go home and do the work of trying to get better. You go home and you do the work of trying to see Jesus ever more clearly, right? Paul is just not, he's not the super good God. He's, he's, he's leading us because he's seeing Jesus clearly and exemplifying it, right? It's important. It's very important. Verse 13, right? So it says, do you strain for it? It says, to, to what lies ahead? Do you believe anything even lies ahead? How does that inform what we do as believers, right? How, you, you become complacent if you don't believe God is for you and with you and has beautiful things in front of you. You get where I'm coming from? Like my kids often, I'm like, yo, I need you to clean up and I need you to do this or whatever. I'm going to make them do it anyway. But the first question is like, bet, how much cash are you giving me? I saw some money sitting on the thing. I'm like, bro, why are you always in my money? Like, what are you doing? They're like, are you cutting the check or not? Because I can get this cleaned up for you real quick. And I'm just like, I don't know whether to move this along. Is this a good character trait or what? But I'm like, bro, you don't clean this room just because you got air. That's why. You know, but, but, but he says I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. Do you believe something lies ahead? It's a big question. Do you believe something lies ahead? Is the gospel real to you? Is something, is the promise true? Is, is, is a new body true? Is eternity with the Father true? Right? Is even still while we're on earth walking with him every day, even if it may be grimy, hard, struggle, whatever, is it still beautiful like his word says it is? Is it true? Is even the next storm that lies ahead, do we, are we looking towards it? Because there's something beautiful in it, right? Man, my house has been messed up since the storm, since Irma came. We slept on the floor the other night, everybody in the living room. I feel ridiculous even telling you this. I'm like, how, how is this still happening right now? But it's still happening. And I spent so much time on the other, you know, on the front end, dealing with contractors and everything and complaining about it. And then in the beginning of the year, my wife was just like, man, you know, we get to actually rejoice in this moment. Like we get to actually thank God while we're going through this. And we get to actually deal with some of our spoiltness or whatever. Nobody owes us a bed to sleep in. Nobody owes us nothing. Like God saved us. We can still get rich in the struggle. Matter of fact, we will get rich in the struggle because God is ever present. Do y'all are y'all with me? He's he's with it. So it's like we can look at what lies ahead, even if what lies ahead is hard. That's what Paul is saying here. He said, "Straight forward to what lies ahead." He's already convinced what lies ahead is more is more God, more Jesus, right? So he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He looks at this walk as being enriching him on all levels, right? So 
this question, being a disciple maker, confronts us. It asks us if we're, if we're takers or are we makers, right? Like, are we, are we, what are we doing with our weightiness inside of the room? Do we let the gravity of our weight pull down what God is actually doing and looking to, looking to do in the life of other believers? Or are we actually stepping all the way in, looking at what lies ahead, right? I'd be lying if I say there's not, there's not tensions that exist in this room. I, there's change that happens, that's happening all the while. It's real. But do we know that God is ahead? That's the question. Do we believe that, right? I want to read something to you. This is Philippians 3, 7 through 19. This is Paul talking to the Philippians also. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. Paul is resolute. He's like, I'm, I'm running after the Lord. Imitate me in running after the Lord, right? And keep, he's, he's a disciple maker. You, you only talk like that if you, you're not playing the game. He says, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory and they glory in their shame with mindset, with their mindset on earthly things. Paul is telling the Philippians, this church that he loves so much, this church has been ride or die. He's a happy father, but he is like, yo, watch out for the takers. Watch out for the takers. Watch out. He said, listen, look at people's life. Look at people's life who you see modeling out this thing, this beautiful thing where they're chasing after Jesus Christ. That's who you want to keep your eyes on. People who in the middle of the storm, God is still bigger than the storm, right? Because I don't know about you. I don't want to get every time a storm comes through town, I don't want to just get stomped on. Every time I go through a financial problem, I don't want it to feel like it's the end of the world. I want to stand in it and go, God, I know you're bigger than this and I know you're going to be faithful. And to be honest with you, I've had to I don't have nine kids because we're rich. I don't print T-shirts on the side because we're rich. I do it because we need it to survive. Do you get where I'm coming from? But I learned from some men of God a long time ago that God would be faithful. So when people are like, yo, you crazy, you got nine kids? I'm like, yeah, we halfway crazy, but my Lord and Savior is crazier. He's crazy, he's crazy, he's crazy concentrated on us up there. So when, when bills and things feel like they're gonna avalanche us and things and circumstances are like, there's no way, how are you gonna pay for a nanny? You're not rich, who you think you are? Some, he just makes it work out. You, you can take that how you want to take it. You can, I don't know how it's going to land on you. But for me, I'm like, I ask my wife, people always go, they go, Jay. They go, man, are y'all crazy? Y'all going to have any more babies? And so I turn to my wife and I always ask her this question. I go, I go, babe, do you, do you think God is worth more than $500 million? She goes, yeah. I go, well, if we had $500 million, would you have any more kids? She was like, yeah. I was like, all right, so our question is answered. It's just... The conversation is not about babies, and I don't want anybody to feel the weight of that like that. It's not about babies. It's about the fact that I'm just trying to show you I have to smack myself into reality of like, man, we got a big, big, big God, right? We have a big, big God. And so in some senses, you kind of you do what you want to do. 
You like, like when you know your daddy can beat up everybody in the neighborhood, you be at the park up on people like, do something. What you want to do? <laughs> Me, dad, and your 20 people. What you want to cross the line, brother? What's up? Because you just know. You just know. You just know. Right? You just know. So you focus on people who God's really, really big. Right? When you, you don't, you don't want to gravitate all the time to, listen, you, you want to be discipling the person that you go to when you have a bad situation and they wallow in it with you. That's the person you need to be pouring in. The person you want to be listening to is the person you go through with a bad situation and you feel completely defeated and they just start building up God bigger than, like God is able. God is, it, because, and here's the thing, they can say it because God has proved himself faithful so much. And, 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 and he, he's batting, you know, thousand percent. You get where I'm coming from? I'm just trying to put in some practical senses or whatever so you can, because um, like Paul says, he says, he says, he says, I, I strain for it. I, I strain through this stuff, right? When, when, when the kids, my wife left me at the, ki- at the house for like three, four hours yesterday with the kids. Well, I went into a depression out of this world. <laughs> they, they, were, they were spitting up. I wasn't, even, I wasn't even cleaning up. I was just letting it just hit my shirt and just chilling, just like. I just couldn't take it no more. I was, just, I was calling. I was like, hey, baby, you having fun out? Because she hardly ever goes out, so I wanted to encourage her. My voice was trembling. I was like, okay, okay, take your time. <laughs> how, how close are you? She was sending me pictures, asking me about, do you like these shoes? I didn't even like the shoes. I was like, yeah, you should get those. Get those. I'm just trying to speed the shopping up, man. I had to repent for lying, man. I'm trying to get her back quick. I don't even know how I went there. I'm sorry. But I'm trying to move. I'm trying to move along. You get where I'm coming from? I'm going to jump up. Philippians 4. I'm going to jump up to verse 2 really quick. I'm going to jump up to verse 2 or whatever, and I'm going to run through... I'm going to run through verse 7. I'm, I'm just working up backwards. Paul says, I entreat Eudodia and I entreat Cinti, Cinti, yeah, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also, yeah, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right? This is the gangster scripture. Who needs some peace up in here? Who needs some peace when they, need, they feel anxious, right? This scripture is so gang- gangster, right? But this is one of the things. Now, I want to keep in mind really quick. Remember, we're actually, as disciple makers and as disciples, we're, we're, we're weighing this text together as I'm preaching through it, right? I want you to make sure you stay in your posture when you're hearing this stuff or whatever, right? So I want you to think about what Paul is actually doing here. Like, why is he saying these particular things? This letter, like Paul don't waste time writing stuff or whatever about, you know, just, you know, jump. He's capitalizing off these words, right? He's, he's going to make sure they hit. 
But when he says this, when I was reading this and he says, whose names are in the book of life. And then he says, rejoice after that. I was like, man, why does he say this? Why does he add that on to this statement? Right. The rest of my fellow workers. He talks about these women who are laboring with them. And he's like, make sure you roll with them. Their names are in the book of life. That's like his exclamation point. Right. And then he goes into rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Right. So I looked at verse Luke 10 or whatever, where kind of the same thing is mentioned, because I just wanted to kind of look like what is how's this thing used with this book of life? Like like where do I see this at? Right. So Luke 10 verse 17 says this. This is when the 70 this is when the 72 got sent out by Jesus. Right. When he said, yo, go out in the world with this gospel, go preach and go do this thing, says the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. That's gangster, right? Like you tell me I'm go out with the scorpions and walk through the valley of the shadow of death and nothing's going to mess with me. That's crazy. Verse 20 says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is big. And the reason it's big, because when we jump back to first, when we jump back to Philippians four, right, and you see him in the scripture and he says, he, he, he puts the exclamation point, the names are in the book of life. And then he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He's saying the same thing. Rejoice in this, that your names are in the book of life. So that's the prize, right? The prize isn't to get your best friend to act the way you want them to act all the time. But, you're, but, but when it comes to being a disciple maker, well, we look, we, we, we look in the, to see people in Jesus, in, in, I mean, in heaven celebrating with us. Do you get where I'm coming from? So he's saying like, yo, don't get caught up in certain sensualities or whatever. Don't get caught up in mysticism. Don't rejoice over all of these all these other things. They're great things. But was it profit for somebody to gain the world and lose their soul? Right. It'd be awesome. Man, was it profit them to be able to serve like crazy? What does it profit them to be able to work in production like crazy? What does it profit them to be able to feed the homeless like crazy, but be completely miss Jesus Christ? Do you get where I'm coming from? Like we got churches, thousands of them across the United States, and this is what's actually sitting in the room. People who have perfected the less weightier things and completely missed the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why we're experiencing a great divide right now. We've missed Jesus. We've missed this thing where... He's the thing. We rejoice over so many other things. We rejoice over excellence. You know why most churches won't go inside of an urban context? Because it completely kills their affinity to, to accomplish excellence. They don't know how to function with inside of it. It's too crazy and too chaotic. I get taught by pastors all the time, and they're telling me how a church should run, and they would never in their life actually come inside of the context we stand in. I'm just putting it out there. Right? I talk to pastors all the time that they're like, awesome. Yeah, you should really push for desegregation and racial unity and everything. They would never drop that conversation in the midst of their church. It would explode like a bomb. Do you get where I'm coming from? So many other things. But, Jesus, when you lay on the bed at night, when you you put your head on the pillow, the thing that should make you laugh to go to sleep at night, 
despite all the storm and all the crazy stuff, is that you know him, that your name is actually in the book, that when you stand before him one day and he looks at you, he's not going to look at all the mess you did. All he's going to see is the blood of Jesus just all over you. He'd be like, Dad, you, you shining, yo, come on through. That's, that's, that's what makes, should make you giggle to sleep at night. When Satan's in your ear whispering to you, you suck. You're horrible. You messed that whole conversation up. You're messing everything up you touch. You had a task list today. You didn't even get one single point checklist or whatever. You're the worst. Does anybody ever go to bed last, like that at night and Satan's in your ear telling you how horrible you are? He's doing it because he hates this scripture right here. He hates he hates it. He's trying to steal away your joy. He doesn't want you to rejoice. He doesn't want you to rejoice. Anyway, let's keep on moving. Not anyway, but you get where I'm coming from. But he says, rejoice the Lord, in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Paul is making this big statement. To me, He's very, he's very much hitting where our gospel maturity, like this is, this is the road you, this is what the, the yellow brick road you want to be walking down, right? Like as a believer, if you want to think in the terms of what, is it, what does it look like to become a mature follower of Christ? What does it look like to become a person that should be on the side of disciple making, right? We're always being disciple. Holy Spirit is always sanctifying and always doing work. But like if God is calling you into this place of being the disciple maker or being a disciple, what is the weightiness of what he's saying here is this right here. It's where you're not shaken by the storm because God is so big. He says the Lord is always at he's at hand. Right. He's at hand. So like sometimes when I go to the park, my kids are running around. They're doing crazy stuff or they'll be on something. And my wife will be like, oh, my God, they're about to fall. And I'll be like, yo, chill, yo, because I got to see where they're at. I'm at hand. I got them. You feel me? I'm close enough to catch them before they hit the ground. But I got to hold back a little bit so they can mature. Right? And so I can see where their skill level is at. I'm at hand. They're safe. You get where I'm coming from? So, like, their fear that they have sometimes, they're like, oh, my God, get me. It's actually unwarranted. But, when they, but, but as they build trust with me and credibility, they're going to be like, like I said, they're going to be at the park. Cross the line, yo, daddy with me. What y'all want to do? Do you get where I'm coming from? Does that make sense to y'all? All right. This is big. This is very, very big. Paul is saying, he's saying God is at hand. So your, re your reasonableness should be, in, should be weighed on by your understanding of how big your father is. Right? That's, that's, what, that's what maturity in this walk is going to look like. Like your willingness to step into the messiness and the craziness and the hardest places is going to look like you knowing that your father is at hand and that he's faithful and he's true and that the promises are sure. And in the midst of it, you'll have a peace, right, that is going to surpass all understanding. It's not going to make sense at all. And because God is faithful, we're going to be able to take everything to him in prayer and supplication, and thanksgiving, and make our requests known to him, and relax. Man, I done made a lot of wrinkles worrying about nothing, something I didn't need to worry about. Man, if, I, if, 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 if anything I need to hit my knees about, 
and repent about it's the disgustingness of disbelief I have before God, thinking my concern and worry and anguish and grief is going to actually make something come together. How foolish of me. And I do it all the time. But God is at hand. He's in control and he keeps proving it to me over and over. I don't know why he hasn't just crushed me yet, but he's merciful and he's graceful. But he's sanctifying me and he keeps showing me, Daddy got it. Daddy got it. I just want you to to grab that, right? Let's jump back, really. Let's, let's jump back to Philippians 4. We're going we're to hit verse 1 really fast, and I'm going to try to wrap us up with this. He starts verse 1. He says, um, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I thought this was so gangster right here when he said this or whatever. I just, I just got to keep it real. He says, whom I love and I long for. This is one of the last questions that I'm going to throw on you. Do you ever, do you look at the people God has around you? The people in the seats next to you that you talk to. Are we doing drive-by flattery? Hey, what's up? Really quick or whatever. And I know sometimes time only permits that, right? But I'm just talking about with your intention, what you're striving for. Do you love or long for anybody? I think it's a good question. It's a question I have to ask myself. I, I have to wrestle with the tension in this. I, I have to look at this and go, man, do you just preach the gospel? Is it, just a, is it just a job or a duty? Or do you actually love and long for the people in the seats? Right? I'm going to tell you this right here. I do love for y'all and I long for y'all. I do. I feel the anxiety of the stuff y'all go through at home when I don't even want to feel it. But my love is still too shallow. I want to do better. I want to do better. I really want to do better for real. I want to actually leave with that being my first foot forward, right? Paul says, my joy and crown. Listen to the disciple maker, right? In 1 Thessalonians 2, he says this. He says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? At his coming? Is it not you, for you are our glory and joy. Paul sees the people God has put before him as his glory and his joy. Like He's like, yo, you put the, the ping on, my, on the crown. You get where I'm coming from? That's what, he, that's, what he, that's, what he, that's what he's saying. Like I want you to think about it. I know I got a couple of brothers in here that are coaches. They, they, do, they, they train kids with football, and I could see it on them. There's nothing more amazing than when you teach these kids these routes and you pour into them and then you see them run they join and score a touchdown when you're pouring into them, right? There's nothing better than when you're a parent and you teach your kids something like, hey, I love it when I'm always on my kids like, yo, don't treat your sister like that. Watch your little brother. Watch your little sister. Make sure you keep up with them and everything else. Like, yo, that's your responsibility. And then I'm watching from a distance and I see them like, yo, watch out, yo, come my sister, come, hold on. I'm like, yo, that's, that's, what, that's what we do it for. That's what we do it for. That's what Paul is saying. That's what Paul is saying. He's like, man, he said, I love and I long for you. This is the, this is the, this, this is the position he's taking as a disciple maker, as a believer. It's not just for Paul. It's for all of us. We've all been given the mandate, right? We've all been told to go and make disciples. 
So for some of us, today is going to be the first day we start taking it really, really, really serious. But that loving and that longing and the joy, right? I I think I told you all this the other week. I was here after service and I talked to a brother or whatever and he ran up on me. And I don't know him really, really well, but he just started talking to me about how Jesus is just changing his life. And it just blew my mind. I didn't know where, where you know, I, I knew God was messing with him. But when I heard him articulate what God was doing in his life, man, it was amazing to me. It blew my mind. Like I literally went back in the kitchen so I could shed a couple thug tears. I had to go do it. My son caught me, whatever. And he's like, yo, dad, are you crying? I was like, man, get out of here, man. Got some, got some full nine in my eye back here. I was looking for cleaning supplies, yo. Get out of here, man. Some Ajax in my eye, man. What are you talking about? But seriously, it hit my heart so hard because I was just like, the person just stated, like when, like when, I, was, when I was going through this process where like I felt like a dead man and God saved my soul and made me alive, I'm like, they just, they just said that. They just said that to me. They just described that to me. The, there's, there, I don't know what to tell you that that's, that's better than that. I don't really know. Like, that is amazing when God saves somebody and brings them from death to life. And that's what he's called us all to do. That's what he's called us all to do. Y'all stand. We're going to pray really fast. The uh, you know when Paul is talking about striving and, and, and like when he's talking about strain and, and pressing forward, like the gospel is so crazy and so heavy. You would think that okay, you know I guess y'all come you come preach every Sunday and you're saying the same thing or whatever like. Man, it's so heavy, it's so hard to put words to express the love of God. Like, it's so, like, even when I, like, you know, like, say I meet somebody, you're like, man, like, I'm telling them about Jesus. It's so crazy to me trying to even grasp the words to actually say, because it's so mind-blowing, right? It's, It's like, and it's not that the gospel changes forms. It's always Jesus on a bloody cross, right? It's always that. But it's like a treasure chest that's like mad heavy, where it's like you pick it up and then you gotta keep readjusting because it's so heavy. The chest isn't changing forms, but it's like you gotta keep coming around it like, this is, this is weighty, this is heavy. But the idea, the thought that God saves us. He saves us and he calls us into this thing to be disciple makers. To actually take what he's done on the cross through his son Jesus and for us to go forward making disciples. That's absolutely unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. And so, church, I want to just urge you to Take the weightiness of the questions, the weightiness of the calling, 
and carry it. Do it. Don't do it in condemnation. Do it under grace and do it under mercy. And if God is actually pushing you to work, right, he's pushing you to actually strive in that particular thing, not in your salvation because it's in Jesus Christ. But if he's pushing you, it's like what I was saying in the scriptures. The weightiness of the cross of Jesus Christ, what he's done for us, that's what informs, right? That's what informs your striving. You have to know that. You have to know that, right? So when we take the table right now, when we take communion and we look at the drink, we're talking about the blood of Jesus Christ, right? We're talking about Jesus, the sacrificial lamb of God, holy, perfect, and pure, being put on the cross and his body being beaten bloody that we could be saved, that we could be redeemed, right? We do this in remembrance of him. He said, for y'all that are mine, for my crew, my family, do this. And when you do it, you approach it with the weightiness of understanding. This is where you, you grab the treasure chest again, when you get a whole nother hold on it. Do you, you with me? This, this, this is what this table is for. He, he, he didn't say just do it out of pure ceremony. He said, do it with a reverence and a weightiness where like you take this treasure chest and you get a new grip on it. So today I'm hoping that when you come forward, you would get a new grip. I'm hoping you'll get a new grip on it and you'll be like, I'm called. I have a purpose. I have a purpose. I'm called to make disciples. And maybe you're not ready to make disciples, but you're called to be discipled. And if you're being discipled, then you're making disciples. So you can't lose, but you're called to step in by faith. He saved you for the glory of God. He saved you out of his goodness and mercy, but he most definitely, he's given us a call. And it's the call is to make disciples. It's the call is for us to take this beautiful thing that he's actually done, bringing us from life, from death to life, and to go hunting, right? The Bible calls us ministers of reconciliation. It means that we actually go hunt for the enemies of God and we bring them back into relationship with Christ Jesus. If that ain't gangster, I don't know what else is. So I'm just asking you to take it with a weightiness or whatever. And the bread represents his body broken on our behalf.